Welcome back to The Long View. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And if you're not already subscribing to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, you, you have to. I mean, we, we did a whole lot of draft preview coverage, a lot of draft review coverage. And, you know, it's really hard-pressed to find a, a podcast network with five podcasts that cover the Memphis Grizzlies and the NBA as a whole. So, Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, wherever you do for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. And also make sure you are reading all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com and following us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And we are recording this on a Monday night, 10 p.m. Central. Praying to God there isn't any free agency news that drops between now and then that just alters the state of this episode. But I, I like your odds. But let me introduce our guest real quick. This is a NBA draft extraordinaire, former GB beer, California's favorite Memphian, none other than Chip Williams. Chip, how are you doing, sir? I'm great, Parker. That's um, that's a lot of praise right there, California's favorite Memphian. I, I hope that's true. I've uh, I've enjoyed my time in California, but uh, I definitely miss Memphis pretty often. So. No, all good here, man. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, for sure. And two things I got to ask. One, what part of California are you from? And two, what do you miss the most about Memphis? So I'm in L.A. right now, um, just Long Beach, which is just south of L.A. Um, it's like a suburb. It's in L.A. County. Um, what do I miss most about Memphis? Um, I can tell you I don't miss the humidity. There's like, it's pretty much zero humidity out here, which is pretty amazing. Um, I've only, I've actually, I've been out here about a year and I, I got off an airplane to come back to visit Memphis and the humidity just like punched me right in the face. Uh, so I do not miss that, but probably the food, man. The Memphis's food scene is like, I think it's better than people even think. Like I think Memphians know it's good, but when you leave the city, you truly appreciate all the just banger restaurants that are in that city, man. It's uh, I, I think about <laughs> a lot of different restaurants probably more than I should. Yeah, you, you probably got all those flashbacks too when everybody was giving those restaurant recommendations to, to Zaire Williams when he was asking about the different food ah, wrecks yeah. it needs to hit in the 901. Probably just a little bit of nostalgia there. No doubt, dude. It's, you know, it's, it's a tradition. It's like an annual tradition, right? The Grizzlies draft a player, um, that player gets to town and then immediately they want to know the best places to eat. And, uh, you know, but look, Memphians, they know how to take care of their own. So there's always like 20 excellent recommendations under there. Absolutely. You know what, for this podcast, I really wanted to bring you on to talk about Zaire Williams because you know, it was a polarizing pick. I mean, I understand uh, James Booknight was on the board and everybody was familiar with him from his days at UConn and playing Memphis. 
and then draft Twitter favorite as far as Memphis Grizzlies go. Moses Moody was on the board as well, and they went with Zaire Williams, and everybody said this is like a high upside pick, had an underwhelming season at Stanford, and he was kind of all over the place on Mox, but I think this draft is really just showing, just kind of used Mox as more of like a team fit and potential range rather than just saying, oh, this guy is definitely going to be here, so we need to – well, we don't need to draft this guy at this spot because the mock said he's going to be here. We just need to take that as an exercise of different scenarios. Nonetheless, though, uh, I think, Chip, that since you left GBB, you've become a secret scout because every player that you've been high on, the Grizzlies have gotten. Uh, Jaron, uh, DeAnthony Melton, Brandon Clark, Ja, uh, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, and now Zaire Williams. Uh, you sent me your board the other day on your – NBA draft blog and you had him 12th and that is that was higher than book night uh, Jalen Johnson Cordy Kispert uh, guys that people had above Zaire Williams on big boards and on mock drafts so I gotta ask like what what made you so high on Zaire Williams even though he kind of had this rough and underwhelming season at Stanford yeah so for me it ultimately just came down to what can Zaire eventually be, right? Because I think one thing, I, I say this all the time, um, the NBA draft is not a reward or a punishment for how well or how poorly you played in college or even overseas or, you know, G League, wherever you played the season before entering the draft. It is not some sort of recognition for how you played, it is simply a projection for what you can do at the next level, right? And it's, it is no secret. It is very well documented. Desire did not have a good season at Stanford. Um, there are so many different factors that you can write all that stuff off. And obviously the number one thing is it is so hard to, you know, factor into the equation when ranking these prospects, how much did COVID affect them, right? Um, because it obviously affected every single one of these guys in some way. I mean, if, even if it was just simply they didn't get to play in front of fans for their first time ever, you know, I mean, that's, that's weird. I mean, that's, it's like a, a scrimmage or something that they aren't used to every day. Um, and so for Zaire, for me, it just ultimately came down to, okay, if we look back, you know, five, 10 years from now, and we look back at this board, and I have Zaire, you know, 25th or 30th or something that is probably more indicative of um, the college season that he had. And all of a sudden he pops into being this really nice, you know, uh, you know, creator for both himself and his teammates. He's averaging, you know, high teens, 20s um, and playing really good defense. I'm going to look like an idiot if I have him as a late first round guy. So I ultimately settled as kind of a late lottery guy because I just think there are enough flashes for me that it it I feel comfortable putting him over like a Corey Kispert, who I think is going to be a good NBA player, but has a pretty clear and defined role and probably will not do a whole lot more than his clear and defined role. And I think with Zaire, you can see him as a role player, but I think you could also see him as you know, a building block and a longtime starter um, for a team. 
Right. And, you know, I, I think you're throwing throwing some strays at me, Chip, because I, I ultimately had Zaire 26 on my board. I think I did a lot of just <laughs> overthinking and sipping the Kool-Aid of guys that were projected to go to the Grizzlies, like uh, Chris Duarte, Usman Garuba, uh, Trey Murphy is another one of those guys. And, you know, I I, I kind of just overthought a lot on my big board. I, I mean, I looked back and I even saw a little – thing I did a couple of weeks before I finalized it. And I had Zaire categorized as a borderline lottery prospect, but ultimately just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I try to factor in, okay, you had this upside of what he could be at the next level stuff that you highlighted on, but I'm like, okay, there's also that downside. I mean, we, we see, we yep. see it with guys like Kevin Knox for like, there's for every Jason Tatum, there's a, there's a Kevin Knox, you know? And I kind of just like looked at that with Cyrus, like, oh, he could be awesome, but like he could be he could be out of the league in five years. So, but I mean, I, I gotta say, like I after like looking in, like reading people who are a lot smarter than me talk about Zion Williams and you know, like getting more into like the detail of like his character and just uh the stuff that I just missed and like looking at scouting reports and reading different intel. I probably had him too low. And, you know, one of the people that that I relied on for this uh, Zaire Williams coverage was, was you. And, you know, you you decided to do the Lord's work, as I said on Twitter. And you went through all of his games at Stanford. <laughs> Granted, not many games, but, you know, you, you highlighted the good, the bad, the flashes, everything. And so I just want to ask you, like, what kind of conclusions did you draw from rewatching this film on Zaire? Yeah. So, you know, Zaire is interesting in that he is not typically the kind of prospect that I end up um, really gravitating towards. Um, I, I typically start my process by looking at a lot of kind of advanced numbers and and seeing what pops with different guys. And Zaire is definitely not one who has any kind of analytical statistical markers that would indicate he'll be, you know, a big time NBA player or anything. Um, but I knew I, you know, I follow a lot of guys who follow uh, grassroots basketball very closely and they, to a man, pretty much every single one of them were like, yeah, you know, the year at Stanford was bad, but we still like this guy. And I'm like, okay, well, so clearly, you know, the numbers don't tell the full story. And so before the draft, I probably over the course of the weekend, I probably sat down and watched five or six Stanford games. And I saw enough that it, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm comfortable with this guy. You know, he, you, you may be right. Like there's, no, it is not to say that I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. You may be right. Zaire, there may be 25 guys better than him out of this draft. That is 100% on the table. Um, but, you know, after he ended up a Grizzly, uh, I decided, all right, you know what? I've got access to a lot of these games. I'm just going to go through and watch as much as I can. Um, as much as I, I can find, as much as I have access to. And I'm, I'm still actually – that we're, we're still in progress there. I'm about halfway done with this Stanford year. And um, I think the one thing that pops out to me watching more games after the fact, now that he, he was drafted by the Grizz, is defensively number one. He's, he's really good. Like, 
really, really good. Um, it, it gives you a lot of hope for as his frame continues to fill out, which, you know, I, I think there's probably some, some split opinions on that. He does kind of have skinny shoulders and how much weight can he actually hold? Um, but even if he doesn't gain a whole lot more weight and he's always kind of skinny, I feel very comfortable with him being able to guard one through three. And if he's able to add significant more weight, I, he could probably even shift down and guard a couple of fours um, here and there. And what was interesting to me is so after the first four or five games, Stanford lost um, their, their two best guards. Um, and so basically Jared Haas had Zaire Williams playing the point guard at different times, but really defending point guards pretty frequently. Um, and he did not get blown by really ever. I mean, there's a couple instances here and there, but the way that he slides his feet and keeps you know, smaller, quicker players in front of him is really, really impressive. And he uses that length to his advantage where he can kind of sit back off of a guy and give him a little bit of cushion just because he is now, you know, 6'10 in shoes with the 6'11", 7-foot wingspan. I mean, he's a big guy guarding these guys, you know, not typically used to seeing someone that size on them. And then offensively, you know, he missed a lot of shots. I mean, you know, we'll just call it what it is. He shot less than 40% from the field. But I never felt like he was forcing a ton. He, you know, he was a freshman. He looks like a freshman at, at different times. But he's not taking terrible shots. He's, he's taking a lot of stuff that, you know, I think with a couple of years of work, you can start to see some of those things go in. Like one thing that really pops out is the amount of ground he covers on his step-back jumpers. Like he's really got that in his bag already. Um, you know, a guy will be guarding him close and all he needs is a dribble or two. And he's jumped back four or five feet and given himself enough separation to get off whatever jumper he wants at any time. And the Grizzlies, you know, you, you look up and down the roster at who can do that. It's Ja and it's Dylan. And that's really it, right? Like there's just not a whole lot of shot creators. And so that really popped to me. And then I think the third thing that really was impressive is his unselfishness, man. He, I, I think that, you know, you, you see these guys, I think this is really Parker, what, what drew me towards Zaire ultimately was you, you see these guys that are labeled, you know, shot makers and creators and all this stuff. And typically they just don't look good passing the ball or they don't ever pass the ball. Right. But Zaire is a extremely willing and a good passer. Um, I think one thing that holds him back just a little bit is he has kind of a loose handle. So you'd like to see him be able to tighten up that handle a little because he, he fumbles it around and then he's, he's now looking for a pass to get out, you know, just to get the ball out of his hands. But when he is able to, you know, keep his handle tight and find the open man, he can do it, you know, from a live dribble or from a standstill. He's got some pretty good passing um, that I just found really, really impressive. And that Stanford, I thought at times really utilized, especially out of pick and roll stuff. So um, I think the more, you know, the more you peel back his game and the further you get into it, you really see some stuff that goes beyond what the numbers tell you on the surface. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this, the, those were some of the things that really caught my eye when I was like going through on your clips and, you know, just, just seeing what he was about. I mean, there, there's only – whenever you're covering the NBA, 
uh, more full time than you cover the draft. It's so you can only watch so many college basketball games and stuff. I mean, especially this past season where on nights where there weren't any games, you just didn't want to watch basketball. And even then you, you were like writing or recording a podcast or whatever, but you know, I, I noticed he, he covered a lot of ground defensively. You know, like if, if somebody was, somebody was, if his man was driving, he was able to close out off the kickout or like you mentioned that step back. And that's something that nobody really on the team besides John Dylan can do. One thing I noticed too, is just the fact that he could just shoot over for people with relative ease, not only because of his size, but because of the shot mechanics. So, I mean, Jaron can shoot about over anyone, but it's kind of like kind of rough looking just because his mechanics, his rely is like his shots push forward a little bit where Zaire has more of that up and up and down motion, which allows him to kind of elevate over players. And one thing I caught too with his passing is he loves that left-handed push pass. And he also, he's able to just kind of like find the guy up the floor and just get quick, fast break going. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I liked with Zaire. You know, you mentioned in your early point, and I actually mentioned this in my analysis on Josh Christopher because I was really high on him. This COVID season was weird, and it was going to hurt a lot of freshmen because of the factors that, I mean, they didn't play in front of fans, but also, too, there was just no normalcy. I mean, they didn't know when they were practicing. They didn't know. There were some nights where they didn't even know if they were going to play. I mean, for Zaire's situation, he was off campus most of the time, didn't play a home game until February, I believe. And on top of that, you just have the normal freshman nuances of adjusting from high school to college. So, I mean, I, I think that we, we're going to see a lot of freshmen kind of be better than expected. And I, I think you're kind of hoping that Zaire is one of those guys where it's like you, can't, you can kind of ride off that freshman season because of – the most unprecedented year we've experienced probably in our lifetimes and just, just seeing if he could bounce back and get in this nice developmental program, which Memphis has shown to be over the past couple of years and flash that upside that everybody saw on the grassroots. No, absolutely. I think your point about his jumper too is really good. Um, and you bring up Jaron, you know, Jaron, I I was fine with his jumper coming out of college because it went in, right? Like, I, you know, mm -hmm. you thought that, okay, he's got fine touch on it and he flashes some three-point making coming out of Michigan State. The funny part about Jaron is, like, you thought that, you know, he was a very raw offensive prospect coming out, very, very raw. It's it's funny. It, we could, well, we could do a whole podcast on Jaron. I, I won't go too deep into <laughs> it. But, uh, you know, the way that Jaron shoots, he kind of shoots it from his chin, you know, and he's, he's almost seven feet tall. So it's fine. And no one's going to block his shot. But your point about Zaire is really good is that he really gets a lot of extension on that. It's hilarious how many times he shoots a jumper and the ball goes off the screen. Like uh, some people will tell you that's not good. He's getting too much arc on his shot. And maybe that's something they end up tweaking, but I'm with you. The, the way that he shoots is, like borderline unblockable, you know, it's almost like when Dirk used to shoot the, the fall away where he kicked the knee up and the mm -hmm. way, when he kicked the knee up, you're like, okay, like no one on this planet is tall enough to block that shot because he's already seven feet tall. It's, it's a little bit of that with Zaire, except he doesn't have to kick his knee up. He can just reach higher than you are. Absolutely. And, you know, I think everybody's big ripe 
with Zaire is just the fact that you don't know if he's a plug-and-play guy right away. And, you know, Zach Kleiman, after the draft on Thursday night, he told the media, like, this is going to be a multi-year process with Zaire. You know, kind of pointing over to, like, how that freshman season was for him at Stanford, just the lack of normalcy there, but also just the fact that he's 19 years old and just has a, a lot of room to grow. And, you know, I, and so obviously, you know, when you have guys like uh, Book Knight and Moody, even like Duarte and Chris uh, Kispert on the board, guys that are like more plug and play, that, that's going to irk some people a little bit, especially after how this season went and the expectations for next season. But, you know, I, I asked, I asked Zach when, when he mentioned that, I was like, so is there a possibility that like he is going to play a, like some minutes with the Grizzlies and some with the hustle, like what's that going to look like? And obviously he said that he's going to get a chance to compete right away, compete for regular minutes and uh, just be able to compete for a chance to impact winning. And, you know, that was kind of the vibe in the introductory press conference with Zaire and uh, Taylor Jenkins and, and Clemens that he's going to be ready to work. He's going to give it his all. And, you know, there, there's two different ends of the spectrum where it's like one kind of like ease him in off the bench and just make, make stuff simple for him. And then there's also I, I've talked to some people who they want to toss him in the fire and let him start and see what he can do. So, Chip, like what do you think would be the ideal use for Zaire Williams next season? Is it going to be, you know, maybe seeing if he can be a starter or is it like, being a more of a rotation player off the bench, or is it going to be maybe splitting some time between the main roster and the hustle? Yeah, I definitely think the hustle is probably on the table. I mean, you know, it is for most rookies that, you know, aren't top two or three picks. Um, (laughs) Excuse me. Someone asked me if I thought he was going to start, like if he was going to take Kyle, uh, Anderson starting minutes and I can immediately say there's no chance like he, he is not he's not ready for that and it's probably going to be at least a, a year or two before he's ready for that um, do I think he can come in and give productive minutes I do I think some of it is going to boil down to what the priority is for the team right um and look, let's be honest, like it's going to be tough. You look at that wing rotation. Now, the good news for Zaire, right, is you look at the wing rotation and there's not a whole lot of guys that look like he does, right? Like there's not a whole lot of six, eight, six, nine, six, ten wings on the roster that he's going to have to play over. Most of these guys are six, six and shorter. So that he has that going for him. Really only Kyle Anderson is anywhere near his size. Um, but you know, it is deep, right? Like DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen. Like, you can just keep going on and on and on. Um, and there's guys that is going – it's going to be hard for him to get over uh, in the rotation. But I think the Grizzlies are going to make it a point to play him at least some every night because he is so important to now what they are going to be able to accomplish three, four years down the road that they need to figure out within the next two or three years exactly what he is going to be. Um, so I don't know that he's going to be able to contribute a ton to winning basketball, 
but could he play 12 to 15 minutes a night and not get you killed while also getting extremely valuable minutes with uh, a teammates that you hope he's going to be able to play the next five or six years with? Absolutely. Um, now, do I think it's possible that the Grizzlies get in a playoff, you know, uh, situation or, or like a, let's say they've got 10 games to play and they need to go six or seven and, you know, six and four, seven and three, something like that down the stretch. And they decide, all right, Zaire, you're going to have to sit these down while we tighten the rotation. Absolutely. That is totally on the table as well. So I don't think anything is off the table except for him playing like huge starter minutes as a rookie. Um, I'd love to be surprised there, but uh, I, I think probably a, a smaller role that you ease him into and just kind of let him start to get a feel of what the NBA is going to be like and what it's going to be like playing with uh, Ja, Jaron, and, and the rest of the Grizz. Absolutely. You know, I would love to see Zaire Williams play year one. I mean, that, that Grizzlies bench, it's always good. It's always a good confidence boost. We've seen it with uh, D'Anthony Melton, Brandon Clark, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman. And, you know, I think if that bench unit is looking like a spot where it may be Tillman and Clark off the bench, you might want to throw in Zaire and then it kind of help them on the glass and get them a little bit more size. And, you know, the offseason's nowhere even close to over. There could be other moves made. But I wouldn't mind right. seeing some sort of moves ahead to where they can kind of clear the way for Zaire, whether it's some sort of consolidation or even just finding a team that wants one of the Grizzlies' wings for a first-round pick. I think I saw Cleveland being interested in a wing for a, potentially a first-round pick. Like, that's something you do for sure. But, you know, I, I would like it. I mean, if he's with the hustle, that's fine, too. You're able to sharpen his game, get him some game reps. But also, too, he, uh, when I had asked that, Zach had pointed out how with just this weird season – um, without the G League in in South Haven and have that in the bubble and just the limited practice time, they really kind of nailed down this system of play groups that they started. And that's something that uh, Taylor Jenkins and the young guys really talked about a lot with these play groups. So that that's something that could benefit Zaire as well. But regardless, I mean, I saw this from, I want to say it was Jonathan Giovanni who s said that, the Warriors should use Kaminga kind of like how Boston used Jalen Brown in his rookie year, like off the bench and stuff. And some of that framework, I think that could be a really good developmental path for Zaire Williams as well. Not saying that like Jalen Brown's a realistic comp, but as far as becoming an impactful two-way wing, I think that's a good little guideline to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there are several – like, Jalen Brown is a really good one, actually. Um, Jalen Brown was actually a guy I liked quite a bit coming out of college, and he was raw, kind of had a low feel. Like, you know, people didn't – people – he was polarizing a little bit like Zaire. I don't – their games aren't really similar, and, like, Jalen Brown was a lot more filled out physically than Zaire was. But I think you're – the overall point of, like, the development trajectory that – could follow is, is a good one. Um, you know, it, it's okay to be brought along slowly. I know that that's not as fun and that, uh, you know, there, there's oftentimes not much patience that's, that uh, fans have when it comes to these young guys. I mean, you can look no further than Jaron Jackson, who's 
21 years old and people are saying this could be a make or break season coming up for him. Like it's, it's okay for these guys to take some time to get exactly what you want them to ultimately be. Right. And I think that is, if, you know, people listening to this take away one thing, it would be, I, I would hope that it would be give this guy some time because there's quite a bit of talent there. This is a good organization to develop that talent and it's not going, this is not someone, uh, you know, I heard someone say that some prospects are, you know, just add water, pop them in the microwave and they're ready to go. This is not Zaire, right? Zaire is more like a, a brisket. You've got to smoke for hours or something like that. Like let this thing sit, you know, let this guy sit, develop, figure this thing out, add some strength. That's I think a huge key for him, adding some core and lower body strength. And then we'll see what we've got, right? Like we'll, we'll make our determination in a few years. This, this is not, this is not Desmond Bain. This is not Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, any of these guys who are in their early twenties by the time they got to the NBA and very, and, and physically developed already. Um, so I look, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to trust this organization and, and the front office and the coaching staff and, the plan that they have. I mean, I, you, you know, you mentioned the way Kleiman talked about it. They, this is a guy that they had tabbed for a long time as someone that they were very high on. Um, and it's, I'm telling you, anybody you talk to that watches grassroots basketball, um, you know, as a hobby, as a living, whatever, they love Zaire Williams. Like he made a massive impact at that level. And, you know, for whatever reason, you could name a million different reasons. It did not quite translate to Stanford, but I think you hear it in climbing and you hear it in the way that those other guys talked about it. The talent is there, right? It's all about extracting and maximizing that talent. And um, I do have faith that the, the Grizzlies will give Zaire every opportunity to maximize his talent. Absolutely. And, you know, to wrap up our Zaire talk before we move into another player that we both are very fondly of, I, I want to ask you this long view question. What is the best realistic scenario for Zaire Williams? You can say it however you want, whether it's a role or a player comp, just however you like to evaluate young talent like Zaire. Is it going to be as a third guy next to Jared Jaron? Is that the best case scenario? Or do you just have something else in mind that? would be that best case scenario. Yeah, I've thought a lot about this, honestly, ever since they, they drafted him. Um, I mean, I think it's easy to say like, oh, well, he could be Brandon Ingram, right? Or he could be some sort of poor man's Kevin Durant. Like, I am I am not ready to go that far yet because he's got a long way to go before he's a 20-plus point-per-game score in the NBA. Um, I don't know that there's an amazing – comparison for him that's a current NBA player like yeah I, I don't like I was I was thinking Michael Bridges in my head but I, I just I don't love that one either um, I think that the ideal scenario like if, if we're saying Zaire hits his 85th plus percentile outcome like a really he really maximizes what he has I think I, I see him as a guy who can be kind of either a secondary or tertiary creator who can really operate out of the pick and roll, take some pressure off of John ja Morant being the only creator on uh, the roster. Well, on, at least on the floor at times. Um, 
I think that he can be a guy who defends one through three, certainly, and even be able to defend some smaller fours. I think that he's going to be a shot maker and a shot creator. Like when everything breaks down, he has the ability to go get his own shot. And when things slow down in the playoffs and your offensive sets, there's just not much going on. He can kind of just call for a quick screen from Jaron and they can make something happen. That, like that. Like, is he the third guy with Ja and Jaron? You know, we'll see, right? Like, I think we'll probably, we could have this conversation two years from now and have a lot better idea. But I I feel like, to me, a realistic floor for him is a rotation wing in the NBA that offers a little bit of creation, some solid defense, and is like a mid thirty shooter from three. Um, that's that's kind of like if I was just envisioning, all right, let's say things don't break perfectly. What is it going to look like for Zaire? And I think that's where I am. And you know what? Like, if you get that at a 6'10 wing, it's a pretty good player. You know, like those guys get a lot of money in free agency. So, you know, I, things would have to go poorly for it to go any worse than that. Um, and I, I don't really even want to envision those scenarios. Let's just right. hope that it gets better than that. Um, but, yeah, I think that's – I hope that that answered the question the way you were you were hoping. No, absolutely. Yeah, I would I would say that's the case. I mean, it's it's really hard. I was talking to somebody earlier. It's just so hard to comp those guys who are like 6'9", 6'10", wings that can create their own shot. They can spot up. They can rebound. They can defend because realistically, those dudes are like all-stars. I mean, I even said if he right. could be – if he could be this season's version of Michael Porter Jr., which is – more defense that that would that's what i would say would be the best case scenario in that scenario you probably have your third guy that potential third guy maybe even a fourth guy who's just this malleable wing that allows you to play super big if you wanted to keep jaron at the four or the super Mm -hmm. modern but still huge lineup if you wanted to move jaron down to the five that's how i see it yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That yeah, I, I agree. That makes a lot of sense. Let, let's get into somebody we really want to talk about, and that's Brandon Clark. A lot of people have written him off already. I don't know why. I I mean, you know, I kind of understand, but you know, it's just such a weird season. Everything about this season was weird, and we have so much evidence that Brandon Clark is a good basketball player, but you know, after this season, everybody's just kind of like taking a turn on him or kind of forgotten that he's still in the mix, I guess. But, Chip, what what would you say exactly went wrong for Brandon Clark this past season? Yeah, I think two things. Um, one is just the, the head-scratching turn on the jump shot. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what happened, you know? Like, he shot a completely respectable, like, 36% from three as a rookie. And – if that is Brandon Clark's career percentage, that is completely fine because of all the other stuff that he brings. And so this year, I think it was like in the mid twenties and that's, it took mm-hmm. like almost a 10% setback. And that's, that's just not good enough flat out. I mean, you, you can't be a mid twenties three point shooter in the modern NBA and, and make a, a meaningful impact, right? Like you, you have to be able to be a respectful three point shooter. So that's number one. Number two, 
I don't think he was fully healthy for, man, I don't know, at least the first month, maybe even six, seven weeks of the season. He did not look as bouncy as he did as a rookie until several weeks into the season. Um, And I like, you know, I think that there was maybe a little bit of reporting that he did kind of have a nagging injury from the off season that kind of drug on into the next season. Um, And and look, you know, I think that the quick turnaround, like these guys didn't have much of an off season. They did not have much of a training camp. They did not have much of a preseason. I mean, even, you know, the Grizzlies did not go deep into the playoffs and it was still a very quick turnaround for them. And so I just think it like this. Okay. You know, I kind of made fun earlier. People saying it was a make or break season for Jaron. It a little bit is for Brandon because I am personally ready to just write off last season as, Hey, injury, something happened with the jump shot. That was weird. COVID quick turnaround. Like it, you know, we can write all that stuff off and we can just keep building off of, you know, what, what we saw as a rookie. Um, But if, you know, if the jumper's still a little funky and uh, maybe he doesn't look quite as bouncy as he does again, then I will start to say, okay, I don't, I don't know what happened because the guy I saw as a rookie looked like he was on a trajectory to being a really good NBA player. And look, I mean, we're still talking about a guy who averaged like 10 and six and two stocks uh, in his second year. Like that's not unusable, but it is not the step forward you were hoping after like a really, really strong rookie campaign. Right. And yeah, he did have those nagging injuries and, because I mean, we saw he was out for training camp and a little bit of preseason with this injury, and then he came back and just like, all right, dude, what like what what just happened to Brandon Clark? He looks broken, and it's kind of like, oh, let's, let's right. just let him get back in the groove. We'll see. And you know, you could really split a season up into three sections. You had this one where it was like, okay, his efficiency is plummeted, but also his raw numbers are up. So he's at least trying to be more aggressive, looking for a shot. I mean, he also kind of had to. And with those, a little bit of that efficiency plummet, everybody's efficiency plummeted because the only true creator that they had, as far as like a, a passer goes, was Tyus Jones. And, and then Kyle Anderson was a little overexpended in that role. So everybody's efficiency kind of went down the, the drain there. But then like – after I would say after that COVID suspension, he kind of looks like the normal Brandon Clark. I mean, the volume dropped, but you know, the efficiency was hovering around the same, you know, that 58, 40, 80. And then he got hurt or it's like after the all-star break and he had gotten that injury and just everything, he just didn't really look like a, that good of an NBA player. And I hate saying that because I'm very high on Brandon Clark. I still am. And I think the injuries play a part in it too. I mean, he even admitted after he came back, he's like, yeah, I'm not really hundred percent. I'm still dealing with this, but I felt good enough to play. And so, and you also had this, you had no practice time and, and no practice time. It's really no recovery time either. So just everything was just kind of jacked up with everything. I'm just hoping to write everything off as that. I mean, I still think there's, right. there's very clear room for, for a bounce back. I mean, I, I highlighted this in a piece uh, over the season and just kind of highlighting the ways that Brandon Clark has taken a step, even though he, his raw numbers have kind of gone down or stayed the same and he got to be a better playmaker. I mean, he cut his assist 
or he cut his turnovers down. I mean, he was one of the league's best in turnover percentage, and he also raised his assists up, up as well. And one of the big things that I saw with Clark is it, I, I, I always like looking at a player's assist at the NBA stats box score and just clicking on them, seeing what kind of assists are these guys getting? Are they just moving the ball in the offense? Or are they actually creating something? And a lot of these for Clark was he was creating something. So that kind of meant a lot to me there. He was taking a lot more perimeter-oriented defensive challenges, and I think that's really going to be his ticket to staying on the floor is can he be a four that defends out on the perimeter? I mean, he saw matchups against Jimmy Grant. I outlined in my piece how in straight possessions he took on and held Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Chris Milton to, to miss shot attempts. And just that kind of de- defensive versatility from the big man spot is really strong. But, you know, that downward spiral happened and he fell out of the playoff rotation. And everything c- ties back to the jumper. And if he gets that jumper back, he's back in a playoff caliber rotation. But if not, it's hard to say what his trajectory really is. And, Chip, like how optimistic are you for this bounce back for Brandon Clark? Do you, do you think that – are you going to just write this off as a weird season? He's going to be back. Or do you, do you think that ultimately we just saw the best of Brandon Clark in his rookie season? I mean, it's possible that we saw the best of Brandon Clark in his rookie season. Like that is, that is not off the table. I mean, you know, not that long ago we saw, you know, OJ Mayo had his right. best season as an NBA player, as a rookie, and it just went down from there. Um, you know, that's rare, though. I, I, you know, like Michael Carter Williams probably had his best season as a rookie and hasn't really been able to find his footing from there. It, you know, I think that those types of examples stick out in your mind because of how rare they are. Um, to me, I look at it, we have a lot of evidence that Brandon Clark is a really good, impactful NBA player. Like, as a rookie, he stepped in and was a positive impact to a basketball team. That is, I mean, it it is just so rare. It's funny. It is rare. But, like, the Grizzlies have done it now with Brandon Clark as a rookie, with Desmond Bain as a rookie, with Xavier Tillman as a rookie. Rookies usually step into the league and are no good and do not impact winning. Like, you know, it's odd that the Grizzlies have now had kind of three in a row that have done that. But Brandon Clark doing that, I think, is evidence that there is a really good NBA player in there. And that I personally, and maybe this is me, you know, being overly optimistic, I lean more towards last year was weird. If he's saying he was hurt and there's reporting he was hurt, that probably means that he truly was hurt. And we did have the flash in the pan that you mentioned there, um, kind of in the middle of the season where all of a sudden the efficiency started to go up. He started to look like the old Brandon Clark. And then, you know, I think something else happened. And I think in a lot of people's minds, you know, whatever happened most recently is the truth, right? Like that's, that's all they remember. And mm-hmm. so all anyone remembers is Brandon Clark couldn't get minutes in the playoffs. And so a lot of people have written him off. I I just, I think that is so premature. Like, even if he has a rough few games to start next season, like, I'm just not ready to press the panic button, and I'm not really anywhere close to it. Because even, 
you know, as not great as he was, um, I think he was hurt. Like, uh, you know, he's saying it, there's reporting. I just think he was hurt and I think it held him back. And I do think that's a little bit of a cautionary tale for a guy like Brandon Clark. He's a smart basketball player. Um, and I, I think he's got high IQs on both ends, but I think the, the thing is, is like when the athleticism for a guy like that goes, it really changes who he is as a player. And so you just hope that, you know, nothing got lost there and that he'll bounce right back and he's had a good off season and he comes back stronger than ever. And we see Brandon Clark as a, you know, key piece to, even if it's a, in a bench role, a key piece moving forward uh, for this core. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think it's really funny because, you know, everybody that kind of wrote off Brandon Clark and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I test says a lot and you got to kind of use, you got to use stats to back up your eye test more so than you use stats as the way that you analyze basketball in your eye test is just kind of like your, your validation of that. But out of any, anybody that played a thousand minutes for the Grizzlies last year. So excluding Jang, Jaron, Conchar, Winslow, and then you're, you're into the bench guys. Clark was only behind Valance Eunice and player efficiency rating, and he still had a negative box plus minus. Like, he was still, like, an impactful basketball player. Like, if this is, like, a barometer of us saying, like, oh, like, this is a slump, then, like, hell, I want to see what he's like when he's, you know, back and healthy. And let's see if he can get back to being that impactful, efficient player. And, you know, may maybe it's just kind of a wake-up call to add more stuff to his bag, whether that is – becoming a better passer and a more willing passer or becoming a better shooter, kind of like what everybody wants to see adding a mid range game, or, I mean, e even just working on his body. I mean, we saw that a recent example of that with Dylan Brooks kind of had this hell of a sophomore season after a good rookie season, everybody kind of wrote him off. And after that injury riddled season, he worked on his body and now he's, pretty core piece to what the Grizzlies are building right now. And you're hoping that's the same with Brandon Clark. And, you know, I believe, cause I mean, like we've talked, like you said, like there is evidence that he is a good basketball player. And we saw that last season. And I mean, maybe also too, I mean, he's working out a lot with Jaron Jackson Jr. So we know he's working on his game and working on what he needs to approve in. And, you know, I, I just, I, we just deemed this guy untouchable and he's just coming off one of the most efficient rookie seasons in NBA history. He was first team all rookie. Hell, we were even arguing that he should have been a finalist for rookie of the year, even though we had the rookie of the year in, in John Morant. So like, I, I know yep. trade rumors are fun and Clark's a guy that you kind of want to throw in there because Xavier Tillman is the shiny new toy and Brandon Clark fell out of the rotation in the playoffs. But I just don't want to give up that quick because a, a year ago today, we were talking about how Brandon Clark could be that third guy. Do we really want to write him off after just one weird injury riddled season? I don't. No, I don't either. And, you know, I, I think the, the point you made about the mid-range game is it, it kind of made me think, yeah, like I think point to no further evidence other than he didn't really have his floater this year. Um, you know, that was like 
if you came to close out on him on the perimeter, just know that he's going to blow right by you and he's going to shoot this <laughs> awkward looking 12 foot floater. And it's going to go in like 75% of the time that, I mean, we saw that play out his rookie season time and time and time again. And he would just bounce so high on that floater that it didn't matter who he had to shoot over. He was going right over the top of him and it was going to go in. Like I said, like, you know, he probably didn't shoot 75%, but it, it felt like he did. And he just didn't really have that this year. That was not really as much of a part of his game as it was as a rookie. Um, and I think everything you said is, is correct. Uh, I mean, we were ready to, you know, rebuff any trade offer that came for Brandon Clark. And look, I think this probably goes to a deeper point about sports fans in general. For some reason, people are, you know, infatuated with selling low and buying high. It's like if, if these people were stock traders, they would, they'd be uh, out of money uh, because it's, it's not really how this works. You don't want to sell low on players. Like actually what the Grizzlies did with trading Valanciunas, you're not going to sell any higher than coming off the season that Jonas just had. So why would you want to start throwing Brandon Clark in the trades coming off of a season where he took a little bit of a step back from what he showed as a rookie? I, I don't get it. Um, to me, you hang on unless you get blown away with an offer that, you know, you, you can't turn down. Uh, like, look, if, if Washington calls and says, all right, Brandon Clark's going to make or break this Bradley Beal trade, then, you know, freaking trade Brandon Clark. I get it. But beyond mm. something wild like that, to move up from 10 to 8 or something in the draft and you want to throw in Brandon Clark, that's just not worth it to me. Like, just hang on to the guy and let's see what year three looks like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that was really the prominent trade rumor that came up was they're like, oh, should the Grizzlies dangle Brandon Clark to the Warriors to move up to seven? I mean, yeah, I see what they're trying to do to move up for Kaminga. That's probably something that could have been just a tough pill to swallow. But again, it's one of those, do you want to trade up and give up the guy that you know is a really good NBA player when he's on? for a guy that might be a good NBA player. And you just – you don't want to play with that kind of fire. And like you said, why why would you want to give up on a guy and sell low on his value when really the apex of his value is being a guy who could be a centerpiece of a big-time trade because people around the league think that highly of Brandon Clark. Like, I, I've I've heard it many times. Like, I had – like, Brandon Clark's a valuable player. And I think that we, he just earns the benefit of the doubt that it was just an injury season, weird season, and just let him get back, get healthy, and just be ready to go. And, you know, I'm going to ask you this long view question, final uh, question of the night. Thank you again, Chip, for uh, joining me on this podcast. But I want to phrase it a little bit differently. Uh, what, what is your confidence interview, uh, confidence uh, interval on? Brandon Clark being in the long-term plans from zero to 100. And do you think he could end up being either a starting or closing four next to Jaron in the long-term view? So I'll answer the, the second part of that first. I, I do think that the, the best version of Brandon Clark is a starter or a closer, How you know, people value different things. I think he can be either one. I think that his ceiling is that. I think that he has proven that, uh, especially as a rookie and even at times in year two. Uh, 
that he can be that. Do I think he's in the plans for the future? You know, ah, man, it is tough. I, you know, I don't, it's, it's tough for me to speak, you know, the way that the front office is thinking. My best guess is they, they certainly don't deem him untouchable in any sort of trade talk. Um, like, I, I think that probably the only untouchable player is Ja. And then it would take just like a monumental effort or trade offer to get them to part with Jaron. But beyond that, I don't know that anyone's necessarily untouchable. But I actually kind of do think that like they probably would trade and would not trade, excuse me, like Desmond Bain before they would trade Brandon. They may even right now prefer Xavier Tillman over Brandon. Like I do think Brandon's stock is low-ish but it is still relatively high based on some of the other players on the roster. Like, again, I just keep going back to the fact, like what we saw this guy do as a rookie was really, really impressive. Like, I just don't know that people remember or watched a ton of Gonzaga basketball, but like if Zion Williamson had not played the same season that Brandon Clark really broke out at Gonzaga, there's a pretty decent argument that Brandon Clark was the best player in college basketball that year. Like, right. obviously him being 6'8", he has a short wingspan, like that limits some of what he can do in the NBA. But that means that if you're the best player in college basketball and you have those athletic traits and that much defensive playmaking, and then you also shoot in the mid-30s from three, you can be a very impactful player in the NBA, a starter, a closer, you know, whichever you deem more important. Um, so. I, he's definitely not untouchable. And like I said, there's probably a couple of younger guys who they view maybe a little more highly right now, but like, look, I mean, I think make no mistake. If, if he comes out and plays really well, the first couple of months of the season, like it's going to be even harder for them to move off of Brandon. Um, and I, I do think they'd love for him to be in the future plans, but I, I think it's, it's TBD right now. Absolutely. I think, I mean, that's kind of the case with a lot of these guys right now. It's just kind of a, a wait and see. I mean, I think you have the highest confidence and I would obviously aside from like Ja, Jaron, probably Dylan and Zaire, your, your highest confidence is Desmond Bain. And you're not really the highest on uh, Brandon Clark right now, but you know what? That's fine. You can recoup his value and hopefully get back to him and Patsy winning the way he did his rookie season. And, you know, I think that this Valanciunas trade is kind of a blessing in disguise for that because it, you don't have to give – if Steven Adams is on the roster opening night, you don't have to give Steven Adams 15 field goal attempts a game or play him 25, 30 minutes. You can get away with playing him 18 to 24 minutes a night and freeing up more time for Jaron at the five or even more time for Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman. So – I'm optimistic. I'm rooting for the bounce back. I know you are, Chip, but you know we're yep. we're about all out of time. the The extension deadline is now hit to where uh, the class of 2018 can now sign their extensions. So now, now we wait for the Jaron Jackson Jr. contract extension. And Chip, I want to thank you a lot for coming on this show. You, you've really outdone yourself again with this uh, draft coverage, and I'm glad you can really shed some light on the the promise of Zaire Williams and why we should all still believe in Brandon Clark. 
No, I definitely appreciate you having me on. I, I thought you were going to say they moved off of Jonas to give uh, Santi Aldama his 18 shots a game. Um, but I, I guess, you know, we can we can spread that around to some other guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think I think everything was – it's just clearing the runway for that uh, John Conchar, Santi Aldama core that's going to carry Memphis <laughs> to a championship. No, man, I, it, it's, it's just a giant will, wait and see. I will that? say, if you like, if if anyone listening to this has not watched any Santi clips from his days at Loyola, it's hilarious. Like he has no business playing at Loyola. Like he is way too good for these guys, and he's hilariously dominant. So if you haven't checked it out, watch the 30th pick in the draft, man. It's it's really funny watching a 6'11 guy who's that good uh, play against guys who. He, he really has no business playing against. But, no, Parker, I, I do appreciate it, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, would love to do it again whenever, man. I'm, I'm always happy to come and defend Brandon Clark uh, against anybody. Absolutely. And you know what? I may have to have you back on midseason when everybody's screaming at the sky about a 19-year-old Zaire Williams. So do, just be ready for that phone <laughs> call. I, I'll, I'll hit you up to do that. But, Chip, uh, let the people know where they can find you and your work. If you got anything cool that you're doing, or maybe if uh, your next film dive is on uh, Santi Aldama, is that in the works? I would love, if I can find film, I'll do it because it's awesome. I, this, his film is hilarious. Like it's hard to find full games, but if I can, I'll do it. Um, yeah. So you can definitely follow me on Twitter uh, at Chip Williams Jr. Um, Right now, going through, I'm halfway done with Zaire's season at Stanford. Um, I'll be halfway done after the, the next game, and we'll finish that out. We'll, we'll knock out all 20. I've had a lot of fun doing this. I think several people have enjoyed following along. So this may be a theme. We might may carry it over on into the season where we do some breakdowns of different guys and kind of what they're doing from game to game. Um, but, yeah, like draft coverage, grid stuff. If you're into soccer, I'm into that, into football, whatever. Just just come follow along. You never know what I'm going to tweet about from day to day. Absolutely. Y'all make sure y'all follow Chip at Chip Williams Jr., one of the greatest minds covering both the Memphis Grizzlies and the NBA draft. And, you know, from his Twitter, you can really find him for just about any sports-related content. So just make sure y'all are following him. Y'all can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka and make sure you are liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you got to do for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network so you can get every single episode of GBB Live, the Long View, the Core 4 Podcast, 3&D Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. And make sure you are reading all of our work at grizzlybearblues.com and follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And with that, that's it.